to the RPC Sermons Podcast. You can join us for virtual worship every Sunday at roswellpress.org. Thanks for listening. This morning we um, resume our sermon series entitled Help. Uh, Last Sunday, Jeff preached a fantastic sermon on fear, and today we're going to talk about something that is closely related, that being anger and anger management. So before we read our text this morning, let us go to God in prayer. Let us pray. Oh God, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear what you are saying to us today. Amen. So with scripture, we turn to the, uh, James chapter 1, verses 19 through 21, which says, My dear brothers and sisters, take Note of this, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and more importantly, humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Friends, the word of our Lord, thanks be to God. So if you've visited enough churches in the past, either as a member or a visitor, you've come across this painting, I'm sure. It's a painting by Warner Salmon called The Head of Christ. And painted in 1940, it is said to have been reproduced over a half a billion times in the last century. I've seen it hanging in church parlors. I've seen it in Sunday schools. I've seen it in back hallways of churches. I've seen it in church storage closets collecting dust as though it would be sinful to throw it away. It was obviously wildly popular, and I'm sure that it inspired thousands of people. But if I were to be critical of this painting, I would point out a couple of things. First of all, we can be sure that Jesus did not have pale skin, blue eyes, and flowing red hair. Jesus was not Irish or Scandinavian. The second thing I would point out is that the painting isn't relatable. Jesus appears to be motionless. His eyes are cast upward. He's bathed in this glowing light. And it's clear that Solomon wanted to depict this tranquil, peaceful, and calm Jesus with a weighted perspective on the full divinity of Christ. So I think that some of us might be tempted to think that church life is supposed to look this way. It's what being a Christian is all about. We are tempted to think that if we believe in Jesus, then we should only be peaceful, tranquil, and calm. We should only be kind, compassionate, and polite. We should never disagree. We should never argue or make people feel anxious. Conversely, we might think that it's not only unfaithful, but sinful to become angry, to feel this emotion of anger. If praise and joy are positive feelings, then maybe we think that anger is on the negative side of things, something that we should avoid, but it happens anyway, right? That's why we have more denominations spread across this land than there are flavors at Baskin-Robbins. I was sometimes the recipient of anger back in the COVID days. There were a few who wanted us to meet no matter what, 
despite the fact that positivity rates in Gwinnett County were at an all-time high. They said, Ryan, it is not faithful to live our lives in fear. So I pointed out the data. I pointed out that we had immune-compromised members. I pointed out what the director of the health department advised, but it did not make a difference. And a few became angry. One couple became so angry that they left the church. And that was the second time that they had done so. They have since left the church that they left us to join. But that's a sermon for another time. So anger, whether in the form of mild resentment or full-blown temper tantrum, it's going to happen as part of the human condition. We get angry. But again, is it faithful? Is it a sin? Well, as with many conversations of faith, this isn't a simple discussion of black and white, right or wrong. There's nuance. There are extenuating factors. You think about our reading from James today, there's nuance there because James doesn't just outright condemn anger. The larger point that James is trying to make is that anger will never be productive. It will never produce anything that's positive. It won't get us any further down the road. And speaking of nuance, consider this quote by Aristotle. Anyone can become angry, that's easy. But to be angry with the right person, at the right degree, at the right time, for the right purpose, and in the right way, that's not within everybody's power, and it's not easy. So, I don't know about you, but I don't go through that checklist when I become angry. I become irritated. I become irrational. When I'm going down the interstate and that person is in the left-hand lane, which is the passing lane, and they're going the same speed as the three cars in the lanes next to them, I get angry. When you get stuck on a phone call that goes through several prompts and you end up spending all day online on that phone call, you can become angry. So again, I don't slow down to ponder the wisdom of James or Aristotle. Anger rises up in us as soon as we're born. When we don't get our way, we become angry. As toddlers, we throw temper tantrums, and as we go on later in life, we have the same temper tantrums, they just become more sophisticated. The fear that Jeff preached about last week, sometimes when those fears are realized, when they come into existence, that's when fear and anger can be merged together. Again, fear and anger are close cousins. So I learned about anger uh, when I was a child, maybe some of you remember this little cartoon from Sesame Street. It was of a goat who had the worst bunch of friends. One of the friends pulled the goat's beard. Another friend sent off a firecracker behind the goat. Another friend went and made like an ugly face right in the goat's face. And another friend went and bought an ice cream cone but said, I'm sorry, I forgot to buy you one. And the narrator in each instance asks, does the goat just stand there and grin? to which the goat bleats out, I get mad, I get mad, I get mad. It ain't bad to get mad. Some of you remember that. I was barely five when the TV series The Incredible Hulk came on television. Bruce Banner, who was played by Bill Bixby, turned into The Incredible Hulk, who was played by Lou Ferrigno, who is one of Arnold Schwarzenegger's main competitors in bodybuilding. And you know how the story goes with these superhero movies. Uh, David Banner was in the lab. Something went wrong. Something happened to his brain. His brain chemistry changed, and we're warned. Now, when David Banner grows angry or outraged, a startling metamorphosis occurs. 
the creature is driven by rage. And Banner has to warn others, don't make me angry. You won't like me when I'm angry. And he spends life in constant pursuit of a way to control the raging spirit that dwells within him. So I was probably about eight years old or so when I witnessed this startling metamorphosis happen with my dad. Now, my dad was no Lou Ferrigno, let's be clear about that, but he was a lot bigger and stronger than I am now. And he could occasionally give in to the raging spirit that dwelled within him. We were on a church member's farm. We were cutting down a tree. We were cutting it into logs to take it back to the fireplace. My job was to load that wood on the truck. And as dad cut into one of those trees, the chainsaw got stuck. It got stuck. It wouldn't budge, so he used a sledgehammer to drive in these steel wedges to try to widen that gap where the chainsaw could finally become free. But it didn't work. So dad wrestled back and forth for about 30 minutes, and as he did so, I could see it. I could see it happening. I could see that anger continually to build. And I thought to myself, oh, tree, don't make my dad angry. You wouldn't like him when he's angry. And after much effort, Dad finally jerked the chainsaw free. We thought that was okay until we saw that the chain had come off the chainsaw. It was still stuck in the tree. And what happened next defied the laws of physics. Dad, with all his might, took that chainsaw and threw it out of sight into the sky. And as he did so, he said, well, we can't talk about that here. But on certain nights... With the help of a telescope, you can still see that chainsaw orbiting around the earth. So we get angry. It happens. It's part of the human condition. But is it faithful? Is it a sin? I think all too many depictions of Jesus are just like Solomon's painting. Jesus is seen as passive, peaceful, tranquil, and calm. You think about all the sculptors and all the painters, they usually dwell far too much on the full divinity of Jesus, neglecting our belief that Jesus is also fully human. So if we were to pull away from James and the epistles and go back to the Gospels, let's see what's taking place there. So three of the four Gospels, they mention Jesus, the story of Jesus that you may be familiar with. As he entered the temple courts in Jerusalem, he's driving out the buyers and the sellers and flipping over, flipping over the tables of the money changers. And making a clear point that the temple was not a marketplace where poor people were to be exploited, do we imagine for a moment that Jesus was calm, cool, and collective? Or exercising his full humanity was Jesus steaming mad? In the 23rd chapter of Matthew, Jesus condemns these leaders among the Jewish elite for their very legalistic, hypocritical interpretation of Scripture. Seven times, seven times Jesus utters the phrase, woe to you, which basically means curse you. Jesus calls them blind fools, blind guides, whitewashed tombs, snakes, and a brood of vipers. And toward the end of his speech, he wonders, how can we save you from being condemned to hell? So is the Jesus of Matthew 23 peaceful, tranquil, and calm? Or is he really angry? Is he really just going off on the corrupt leadership who is choosing to be incredibly legalistic instead of loving? Is Jesus angry that those at the top had forgotten what those laws of God were designed to do and pointing to a, 
God who is holy, righteous, just, and full of grace. Well, as it turns out, not much has changed these days. Bruce Bauer spoke about this in his book, Stealing Jesus, How Fundamentalism Betrays Christianity. Speaking on today's topic, he writes, Born out of anger, born out of anger, modern legalistic Christianity has, over the long arc of the 20th century, become steadily angrier in reaction to the spreading secularism. During that period, he writes, it spread like cancer. It has, in the process, warped Christianity into something that is ugly and hateful and has little, if anything, to do with love and everything to do with superstition, suspicion, and sadism. He says, in essence, then, it has stolen Jesus and yoked Jesus' name to ideas, beliefs, and attitudes that would have appalled Jesus himself. So friends, Bauer wrote those words over 25 years ago. We have since witnessed this legalistic view of Scripture becoming far more prominent and far more politicized. So what does that mean for us? Well, first of all, it means that we need to better develop a vocabulary and a practice of evangelism and going out to tell people what God is really like and what Jesus is all about. We need to recover what has been stolen away. It means that we need to find our voices in witnessing to a God who, according to multiple places in Scripture, is slow to anger, merciful and gracious, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Also, Bauer's comments about legalistic Christians points to this elevated form of anger that we can sometimes reach, this anger that doesn't take place in the form of short bursts outrage, but that's allowed to kind of grow within us as we feed it, as we nurture it. And like a backpack loaded with wet cement, it really weighs us down. And like a, a raging fire, it consumes who we are, and it also changes who we are. And rather than trying to control this raging spirit that dwells within us, we instead welcome it. We lean into it. We know how it goes. We retreat into our preferred media outlets and places of confirmation bias. We allow ourselves to become angry and afraid of the other, whoever the other may be. And indeed, as we go further into an election year, we can find ourselves seeking out that information that won't only damage our minds and our souls, but our very hearts as well. Some years ago, a Harvard Medical School study asked more than 1,500 men and women to describe their mental state of being right before their heart attack. And as you can imagine, anger more than doubled the risk of cardiac arrest in people who already had heart disease. And that makes sense, doesn't it? We think about what happens, how we feel when we become angry. It increases our blood pressure. Sometimes with me in the past, a couple of times, I had blurry vision. And our bodies are filled with stress hormones that aren't good to be there in those levels that frequently. So again, we hear, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Or stated in positive terms, when we are quick to listen, and when we can check our anger, those are the moments that the righteousness of God can rush into our hearts and replace that void that was once filled by anger. Also, when we humbly accept the word planted within us, 
we can be saved from that startling metamorphosis, that raging spirit. We can literally be saved from a broken heart. So we get angry. It happens. It's the human condition. But is it faithful? Is it a sin? Well, I'm not going to keep asking that question without trying to answer it. And my answer here is that anger is faithful. It is faithful because we're human. It's faithful because we can see in Scripture that God became angry. We can see in Scripture where Jesus became angry, and I'm not too sure about it, but the Holy Spirit, it did rush in violently on the day of Pentecost. So anger can even be helpful. In our basic fight-or-flight response, there are moments when running away isn't an option, and sometimes we have to engage that thing which we are afraid of or fear. And that is where anger can be helpful. But is anger a sin? Well, I think that's a little more complicated because let's think about that. If we are determined and willing to carry around our anger every day without praying that God will take it away from us, that's a sin. It's a sin if we warp Christianity into something that is ugly and hateful. It's a sin if we seek it out, if we welcome it, if we lean into it. It's a sin if we cause someone else to stumble in their faith. It's also a sin if it leads to violence or abuse. And when we think about it, that's a lot of ifs and wins, isn't it? This is again where nuance and those extenuating factors come in. So you remember that painting I was talking about, that painting that I think was on the screen behind you? Here's the truth. I've never liked it. I've never cared for it. I feel like it is a depiction of who we want Jesus to be instead of who Jesus truly was, who Jesus truly is. I have no doubt that there were moments when Jesus was filled with peaceful, tranquil, and calm emotions. But like Jesus, like us, Jesus could be overjoyed. Like us, Jesus could be troubled, sad. And just like us, he could become frustrated and angry. But as the embodiment of God on earth, Jesus was also merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And friends, we are called to be the same. We are called to be the same. In the moments, in those moments, and in those dark valleys, thinking about the language of the 23rd Psalm, maybe more and more we will discover those green pastures, those still waters. Perhaps if we can carve out more space in our hearts and our minds, we too will find moments of peace, tranquility, and calm in the midst of our faithful lives, trusting that it is God alone who saves. Let us pray. God of power and might, you know all too well how our anger can pull us away from rational thought and reasonable discernment. In the heat of the moment, we can think, say, and do harmful things that cause division, resentment, and broken relationships. Oh, Lord, we pray for you to do what we cannot do for ourselves. We pray that you will forgive us and save us again and again and again. We pray that you will fill us with your spirit and bring to us a sure and certain awareness of your life-giving word, the word that saves, reconciles, and builds up the body of Christ the word that demonstrates to others that your laws are designed out of love and compassion for your people. Make us to become bold and humble in sharing this good news with all. 
that they too will be welcomed and have a place at your table. You've been listening to the RPC Sermons Podcast. Please let us know you're here by visiting roswellpress.org and signing our digital friendship register. May the grace and love of God be with you today and throughout the rest of your week. Thanks for listening.